Good morning. How how are we doing? That's good. That's good. Hey, I got a few housekeeping items to do before we get started. Um, just three announcements that will be repeated later, uh, but I just wanted to kind of lay them before you now. First and foremost, next week, um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm probably the most excited, I think, about next week because um, I, I get to sit out there and listen to um, some great preaching and just be filled. And so uh, I'm excited about that. But um, if you have followed the kind of past several weeks, we've been announcing that uh, Tolian Chavijan will be here. Um, and he is Billy Graham's grandson. So Billy Graham's daughter's son is who he is. He was a uh, quote unquote mega church pastor at one point in uh um, Coral Ridge, um, down in Florida. And then, uh, I will let, uh, let him kind of share his story. Um, his message, he already sent me the title of it, uh, is called Carnage of Grace. Um, he is probably one of the best communicators, uh, I've ever heard on the topic of, um, grace saturated gospel. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear him. Uh, so he'll be here preaching for me. Um, and then in the evening at 6.30 p.m., he will be at uh, Royal, uh, Royal Cigar Lounge uh, doing a Steaks and Stogies with us. So we're going to invite a bunch of men to come out and kind of mingle with him there, uh, hear his story uh, in a different setting. So that is next week, February 4th. Um, and then the uh, last thing that I wanted to talk to you about is uh, last year. 2023, the December, basically, we launched a end of the year kind of giving campaign, uh, a lot uh, in hopes to uh, raise $50,000 to enter into this year. Um, now you know what that special announcement was, because um, it, it took some funds to be able to do all that we did with that. Um, but I, I just want to let you know that we did hit our $50,000 mark. So we are incredibly thankful for that. Um, and it, it's, it was kind of hard to, um, I just noticed that was you. Anyways, my, <laughs> my wife got bangs now. And anyways, um, sorry, <laughs> so I'm going to hear about that later. Uh, I got distracted ADD. Um, but it is hard to tell because we didn't ask you to like like mark anything that you gave of you know this goes towards that so we did the best we can to to investigate and figure it out um, but yeah we definitely hit our mark so thank you so much for that uh, it's a beautiful thing I will say if I could that was a you know thank you and then a hey uh, and that is like the first two weeks of January have been quite low um, uh, anyways we'll move on from there um, but thank you for your generosity uh, your care uh, your belief in our mission. Um, here. And I, I hope, I hope that you know that we are committed to you and that we're committed to loving um, one another well and this community well. Okay. Um, anyways, we're in a new study. We are in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts. Uh, I said last week, several weeks, I, I meant several months. Um, it's going to take us a while. There's 28 chapters. We're in chapter one for this week. We will complete it this week. Um, and, uh, but I, I love the book of Acts. I love it because it's going to take us on a journey together that's going to kind of invoke in all of us uh, a hopefully deeper relationship with Jesus, uh, a deeper understanding of how God moves through his spirit, uh, and, and maybe maybe even a deeper trust in God our Father as, as, as 
he's deserving of. And so that's, that's what we'll be doing. Um, we and, uh, kind of talked through the introduction last week just to let you know that Luke is the one who wrote this, Dr. Luke, more than likely, um, to just um, kind of inscribe all of what was happening inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know this is the infallible and errant words of God um, that Luke penned down here for us. He was writing to an individual more than likely Theophilus, uh, who is a lover of God. And we can just take that as anyone who is a lover of God. This, this book is for you to listen to, to kind of drink in and allow it to stir your affections for Christ. Um, but we're going to do the second half of chapter one. We've been doing some investigating at my house lately. Um, it's, it's a difficult sometimes because I don't get the kind of quality sleep I need to get because I snore a lot. Krista tells me I share too much up here. So this is one of those moments. Um, and so it's probably worse off for her and her sleep patterns or whatever. But either way, um, I uh, I was very... Okay, so you need to understand this. I, when I, I get really hot when I sleep, really hot. Uh, I'm, I'm like a furnace. And uh, I don't like wearing socks to bed. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to let you know something. Um, you're probably like, this is too much information. I don't care. Uh so here's what happened. There's one, there's one night where it was, it was cold. It was like really cold in the room. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this a try. I wore socks to bed. My wife tells me the next morning, she's like, Jeremy, you didn't snore at all last night. I was like, yeah, I had the best sleep of my life. And she's like, I literally had to check to see if you were breathing. I'm like, it was amazing. And she's like, make that a regular thing. I'm like, I'll try it. But the only thing I can think of is I wore socks. And so I'm like, does this work? Well, so I tried it again. Apparently, my feet are connected to my snoring. <laughs> Didn't know that. Figured it out. And now there's this miraculous thing happening. My wife and I are both sleeping well at night. It's great. So thank you for that. Um, I say that because we're going to experience, I believe, uh, or investigate one of the greatest miracles in the book of Acts. We think it happens in chapter 2. I'm telling you it happens in, in chapter one. And I think the only way we get to chapter two is if we understand chapter one rightly. Um, but we bypass it so quickly. And uh, so if you would, um, we're going to be in Acts one. Look at this, verse 12. Then, uh, if you remember from last week, they were standing up, staring at Jesus as he ascended, ascended into heaven. And two angels said, hey, what are, you, what are you staring at? You guys need to go. And so they leave and they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. So 11, all of these, and if you have your, if you highlight or underline, this verse is incredibly important for this morning. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers 
the company of persons was in all about 120. Now, we're going to split this up into two parts. The first part is this. We're going to talk about what is occurring in this upper room. The second part, we're going to talk about the message that Peter's about to speak. This first part is extraordinary. I don't know if you missed it, but the only way what happens in Acts 1, verse 12 through 14, is if the Holy Spirit is involved. This is the only way this happens. Now, now we, we jump to chapter 2, that's when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, but we're going to find out is actually the Holy Spirit's been on the scene since before the creation of the world. And, and we need to know that because I think we have some mixed up theology and doctrine sometimes, but the Holy Spirit is actively involved here. The way I know that is because there's 11 men who walk back from seeing Jesus ascend on high, walk back to this upper room, and it says this, and they were with one accord, one-minded, with one heart, now I know that this is a miracle because I've been in church long enough to know this is not possible without the Holy Spirit. And I've been in church long enough to know that most churches actually don't operate in one accordness. There's so much bickering and gossip and tension and dissension going on among us that we don't even understand this. And there's 120 people in one room in one accord. This to me is incredible. In fact, this word, one accord, is actually only mentioned 11 times in the New Testament. 10 out of the 11 in the book of Acts. I think there's something that Jesus wants us to know in the inauguration of the church and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And that is oneness, one accordness is important. Togetherness matters. Um, and we see that here. Now, the reason why I believe this is a miracle is because, well, I know the propensity of the human heart. We're divisive by nature. You ever notice that? You don't want to admit it? Just ask your spouse. I was driving with my, my daughter yesterday. <laughs> this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. We were driving down the road in a neighborhood. And uh, has anyone ever got like someone else's package at your door? Has anyone ever had one of their packages at someone else's door? You're like, it was delivered. No, it wasn't. And then you're like, where's my package at? Uh, well, anyways, we're driving down the road and uh, we see this crazy thing. There's, there's a, obviously a package that was delivered to the house on the right across the street from the house on the left. And, and I believe that the package was for the house on the left. The reason why I believe that is because this lady takes this package, walks to the middle of the road, and instead of crossing the road to lay it on her neighbor's front porch, she throws it. Kids, you're not. She threw the Amazon package in the air. And Tegan and I look at each other like, she couldn't even walk it over to the front. She was angry that they delivered the, your neighbor's package to your house, that you threw it? Incredible, right? This is like, that's how neighborly we are anymore. That's how it works. Like we, we're so quick to be offended we're so quick to offend. We're so quick to think that our um, kind of voice matters more than your voice and I'm gonna use it even if it means to tear you down. Like what I know about the human heart, especially now after we walk through some crazy things from 2020 on, like we unfortunately tear down instead of build up. 
Now, you've heard me say it, I'll, I'll say it again, that we never, we never strive for peace at the expense of truth. I mean, we stand on the gospel, and if the gospel offends, we're okay with that. But how we engage one another who believe, trust, and uh, have already proclaimed faith in Jesus should be in one accord. Should be. And I've been a part of too many churches that have fought over some of the craziest things like carpet color, paint. It's insane. And, and here's, here's why I know this is crazy. Can I give you this list again? Just real quick. Let's just do a quick character study for a moment. Uh, Peter. Peter. He is the loudest one of all of them throughout all the Gospels. Quick to speak. Um, kind of wanted to be in front, in charge. That never goes out, over very well, especially if you didn't know. Andrew's a part of this mix. You know who Andrew is? His brother. Siblings. Do siblings get along? One accordness, you think? <laughs> no. I think Andrew wanted to punch Peter a lot, actually. Um, but he was more of the laid-back type of guy. But you have Peter and Andrew. Then you have two other brothers, John and James. We talked about them this morning. Uh, and, and just to let you know, uh, their nicknames were Sons of Thunder. How do you get that nickname? Right? Like, like the, the characteristics behind these men, Sons of Thunder, who wanted, by the way, to burn up an entire village because they didn't have room in their inn. Hey, Jesus, you, you want us to call down fire from heaven? John and James, have you done that before? You think you can do that? Like, this is incredible to me. Like, this is the proclivities of these men. On top of that, John and James have argued from day one who's going to sit at the right hand and the left hand of the Father, or of Jesus. I don't know. Seems a bit crazy. Look at this. This gets better. Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew. You know who Matthew is? Was Levi, tax collector. The most hated, by the way. The one who would tax his own people for the Roman government and for his own personal gain. Lived his life in promiscuity and debauchery, having parties and living the high life. Matthew, the one who would sell out his own for money. Look who else is there. James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot. Matthew and Simon, if caught in the same room, would fist fight. The zealot was this kind of religious militia that wanted to um, kind of hone in on and protect the religious fidelity of their day. And they were zealots about. They would go to extremes to protect that. And you have Matthew who kind of discarded that and discarded what was going on there. And then you have Simon who's like, no, we're protecting this thing. Do you? And they're going to have a prayer meeting? <laughs> Getting these two guys in the same room together? And they're in one accord? tells me this, that it doesn't matter where you come from, where you are in your own journey. What matters is that Jesus is the center. 
that the common denominator is Jesus. The only thing or person, if I could, that got them in the same room is Jesus. And the only one who will hold their oneness together is Jesus. So, so if that's the case, why has it been so difficult over the ages for the church to be of one mind, of one heart, and of one accord? I, th- I think the simplest answer is because of our own proclivities and because the enemy will do everything he can to make us divisive. Because a kingdom divided cannot stand. Now, there's more going on here. They were in one accord and they were devoting themselves to prayer. Listen, they didn't know what else to do. Jesus just left again. And they're like, uh, we're going back to Jerusalem, this upper room where we're staying. What should we do? Well, what did we see Jesus do a lot? We prayed a lot. Let's do that. You guys have heard this before. I'm sure if if I've not said it, you've heard someone say it. But the disciples didn't ask Jesus how to walk on water. They didn't ask Jesus how to heal a blind man. They didn't ask Jesus how to do these miraculous things. You know what they asked of Jesus? Jesus, we've, we've heard you pray. We've heard a lot of people pray, actually, over our life. And there's just something about the way you pray that captivates my heart and wrecks my mind. Can you maybe, I don't know, teach us how to pray? I have all the things. Teach us how to pray. And so, so Jesus goes away. They're in one accord of one mind, going in one direction, and they devote themselves to prayer. I wonder how long they prayed. I wonder what they prayed for. I don't know how you read scriptures, but I try to investigate, maybe dive as deep as I can. They're devoting themselves to prayer. Are they praying for one another? Are they praying for direction? Are they praying for help us recognize the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus just got done talking about? Are they praying for strength? Are they praying for I don't know what it is. All I know is the first church meeting had two very important pillars, togetherness and prayer. (laughs) And unfortunately, the average amount of praying in the church across America equals out to about three minutes and churches are most known for being divisive and not oneness. The very two attributes we see at the very beginning are the very two that we don't see currently. 
I don't, I don't know, maybe in 2024, maybe as restored church, maybe, maybe we should consider fighting for oneness and devoting ourselves to prayer. In fact, um, in Ephesians chapter four, it's a very difficult passage. We talk about it in our growth track classes. If you haven't taken those are the second and third Sunday of every month in the morning, um, in there, it talks about how we walk according to how we've been called and talks about walking patience, kindness, gentleness, all those words, which are terrible, horrible, difficult words, um, bearing with one another in love. But then it says this, eager to maintain the spirit of unity. So what tells me is that it can be hard arduous work to maintain the work of unity. But if we're not striving for it, we're passively sowing disunity. Now, I only say that. Not If you're a visitor here, you're like, man, do they have a lot going on? What's going on? Uh, no, that's not the case. Um, I just, man, I just want us to see I just want to see how close to oneness we can be. Don't you? Does this sound amazing? As long as you wear deodorant. Closeness, proximity. Anyways. One accord. Devoting themselves to prayer. Look at this. Verse 15. In those days, Peter, of course, stood up among the brothers. Company about 120. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now, before we dive into his message, I need to deal with first, I don't know, if you flip back just a few pages in the Bible, maybe to John chapter 18, um, you, you see Peter being confronted by a girl servant girl around a fire asking, aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter clearly total of three times denies that he ever knew Jesus. It's a horrible scene. And, and so just a few pages later, and what we know now because of Acts, after 40 days of Jesus with his disciples, teaching, restoring loving. We know of one scene, John chapter 21, where Jesus has this personal kind of interaction with Peter to restore him after denying him. Now let me restore you. Go out and feed my sheep. And then all of a sudden, before chapter two, because everyone talks about the emboldness of Peter in chapter two after he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Before chapter two, Peter stands up and teaches to the ones who know about his greatest failure. Not to a crowd of nameless people who don't know him, but to the ones who have been intimate the entire time, the ones with him, the ones who know who he is, the ones who have seen his good, bad, and ugly. And he stands up. He doesn't wallow in his pain and mistakes. He doesn't 
give in to self-loathing of all of his errors and ways. He moves forward by standing up and begins to teach the 120 in the room. And it's extraordinary to me because I think some of us in this room have a bent towards self-loathing. You can't move forward because all you can think about is the guilt and shame that holds you back. Some of you in the room are the opposite. You're just self-righteous. You just think everything you've done is right and good and you're all knowing. And I'm here to tell you that arrogance is found in both self-righteous and in self-loathing because the one you're reflecting on is still who? Yourself. And you don't see any of that here. In fact, you see Peter, even in the midst of everything that he's gone through, stand up and preach this message to the apostles and the people in the room. Let's read it. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became the guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of the wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Uh, Peter is a fisherman, so he's just very clear and raw. <laughs> and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, that is the field of blood, if you didn't catch that. I want you to underline a passage or a verse. It says this. It's the second part of verse 16. Um, the scripture had to be fulfilled. The scripture had to be fulfilled. What scripture, Peter? The Old Testament. The Old Testament talked about Judas, talked about what was going to happen with Judas. This was predetermined, predestined, preordained by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. This is incredible. It lets you and I know this, that the Holy Spirit's always existed, sustaining, helping, directing, orchestrating. Listen, we serve a God who doesn't show up on the scene with an ambulance. He's not trying to figure out, okay, this didn't go as planned. Let me, let me make some changes here. What do you think we should do? That's not God. He has been in charge all along. Jesus wasn't surprised by Judas. God wasn't surprised by Judas. That was planned out from the beginning. Now, <clears throat> it's why in this text, it's important to note um, that this guy, Judas, fell headlong, was gone, did what he did because he was directed by, used by the Holy Spirit. Meaning, whatever the Holy Spirit is doing cannot be thwarted. His plan and purposes will 
always unfold. He can't be stopped. He can't be fooled, pushed around. The Holy Spirit is going to do what the Holy Spirit is going to do, period. Now that's good news that his purpose and plan is unwavering. I know it's difficult in a context like this. In fact, the narrative, narrative of Judas kind of exposes and underpins not only the Holy Spirit's unwavering plan and purpose, um, but as John 17, 12 tells us, that it wasn't just one of the 12, but it was the right one. Here's why that matters. When Jesus picks the 12, all right, we'll see which one's bad. We'll see which one doesn't work out. That's not how it worked. As Jesus picked the 12, he knew who it was. Um, not, not only did he know who it was, but it's crazy enough that Jesus even washed his feet at the very end. Either way, we're talking about Judas, this thing unfolding. Why does Peter bring this up? Like the most difficult thing that happened in their ministry. One of their own betrayed them. One of their own betrayed Jesus. One of their own. And it seems like Peter has right theology directed by the Holy Spirit to understand this was all in God's plan. They don't need to be in the upper room in fear, wondering what happened. They know this needed to be fulfilled. In fact, he gives us the scriptures that need to be fulfilled. Here's the first one. It's found in Psalm 69, verse 25. If you want to write it down. It says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. That's why this field was purchased, called the field of blood that remained desolate. Then the second thing that needed to be fulfilled is this. Let another take his office. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, two names, Joseph, called or Sabbath, who was also called Justice. <laughs> Couldn't figure out his name. He had three of them. And Matthias. Now, we know Peter stands on the fact that the Old Testament needed to be fulfilled. So he's bringing this up in this moment to say the Holy Spirit spoke through David that this is going to occur. We're here now. Jesus ascended. It's us in this upper room. There's 11. We need 12. So here's the next part. We need to pick one. Here are the qualifications. Now, this is so important. Do not miss this. The qualifications of the ones who are going to fulfill this office said here is it has to be a man who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They had to be there from the very beginning. Now, why is it 
that the Holy Spirit found it important to say that whoever it is that fills this 12th spot needs to have been there from the day one all the way up until his ascension. I'll tell you, because the Holy Spirit always and will always point to the perfect historical incarnate man of God, son of God, Jesus. And if the person that's going to fulfill that office is brought by the Holy Spirit, he must also value the historical, perfect lamb of God, seeing him move in and out, watching what he's doing so he can gather his heartbeat. It is very important because here's why. Do you know we have two, talk about like one accordness in, in the church circles, there's this split. A couple of them that's <laughs> happened. We're talking about one. Um, the split where one goes over here for knowledge. So we'll just, we'll just say Baptist for a moment. Don't yell at me. Knowledge, Baptist, Holy Spirit, can't figure him out. Knowledge. And then you have the Pentecostals over here. Holy Spirit driven. Knowledge last. And this is what happened. Experience, excitement, the gifts, the Holy Spirit, knowledge, truth, boredom. I mean, uh, <laughs> like you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Baptist, Pentecostal. The problem is, um, the Holy Spirit and all the experience that we get to have with him will always point to Jesus, always. And so the knowledge of knowing him rightly is valued by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit always points to him. So it's not simply about the experience, but rooted in his words. It's why when John writes in 1 John, we were there with him. We touched him. We heard him. We saw him. Everything about John in 1 John is laying out his experience seeing Jesus move in and about within their midst. And he says, we're just letting you know so that your joy may be complete. So in our pursuit, as we work through the book of Acts and we see the Holy Spirit move in extraordinary ways, we must remember that he will always illuminate, point, show, make much of Jesus. Now, as I wrap this thing up, let's read the rest of this and we'll be done. Look at this. And they, they prayed and said, um, you Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And then they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Um, I find this progression to be interesting. I don't know about you. I've, I've been in a lot of prayer meetings. Anyone? 
Anyone ever been to a prayer meeting? Okay. You guys aren't responding. Uh, man, you guys can make your way forward. We'll get this thing going. Uh, prayer meetings. I don't know if I've ever ended a prayer meeting, though, where um, there was lots cast. To me, it kind of negates the prayer. We're praying, praying, praying. Speak to us, God. Speak to us. And then all of a sudden, they decide, all right, cast lots. Matthias, you're in. I'm like, wait a second. That's all we need to do? So we're going to end in prayer in a little bit, and then afterwards we'll cast lots. For whatever answer you're looking for, one's this, one's that. We'll see where it goes. Just, just kidding. I find it intriguing. I find it intriguing that they did it this way. Um, that they devoted themselves to... And they... Bless you. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Yet didn't want their voice in their head to be misconstrued by the voice of the Holy Spirit. So then they did something that allowed the Holy Spirit to answer. Interesting. Because here's what happens with our prayers. Oftentimes God's voice sounds very much like yours. Oftentimes, God simply tends to align with what we think, with what we want. And you sit down with someone and you say, hey, can you pray with me? And you guys pray together and you come back to the table and you're praying for something that you want to happen. And you say, this is what I think God is telling me. And the person you asked to pray with you says, actually, I heard the opposite. Who's right? Me, <laughs> always, right? No, if, if you don't align with what I think I need, I'll get a new friend, a new prayer partner, a new accountability partner. I know it sounds harsh, but that's what we do. We want voices to match with our voices. And I don't think that that's what's going on here. In fact, I think as they prayed and then they got ready to cast lots, um, this guy with three names and Matthias are like, wait a minute. We're just gonna, why, did, why couldn't we just cast lots from the very beginning? I don't think it was to change God's plan, but to align their hearts with his plan. I think they prayed so that when the lot fell, oneness would still occur. You ever put two leaders up for a vote? <laughs> That'll destroy a church in a minute. I was talking to a friend last night who's like, yeah, this pastor and his church, his, his church is trying to vote him out. He won, but barely. I'm like, no, he lost. The 10% is always louder than the 90. That's what happens. So, so I think, I think in order for one accordance to continue, for no jealousy, for no envy, for not being easily offended. They prayed, God, protect our hearts against jealousy, envy in our own ways and align us with yours in oneness. And after that prayer, they cast the lots. Matthias was chosen and they celebrated and there was no bitterness and there was no anger and they continued to go in oneness. That's what I think happened doesn't tell us 
But I think if it ends the way it began, that one accordness and prayer are vital to a church on the move. So if you stand with me, We're going to sing a song in a moment. This song is just our verbal invitation for the Holy Spirit to come. He's already here. So really it's our invitation for our hearts to be open to what he's doing. But I want to ask that as we have become restored church, as we are moving in a direction to prize Jesus, make disciples, love well, and restore community that that maybe in the most fervent way possible for the next 10 minutes, however long we stay in this song, that we pray that God, you knit us together in oneness. Protect us from our own selfish desires, envy, pursuits, ambitions. And let us stay the course to see what it is that you can do through a body that's united. And, and, and then as we pray that together, let's allow the Holy Spirit to just knit our hearts as one. But also, there'll be people to my left and right who want to pray with you. And listen, if, if you've struggled lately with bitterness, with anger, with unforgiveness, if you've struggled with these things, you don't need to battle that alone. I, I think the reason why we have places for you to come pray with someone else is so they can battle that with you. You won't shake bitterness, unforgiveness, and that kind of stuff on your own. You need to pray. So as we invite the Holy Spirit in and we worship together and pray together for oneness, let us be courageous enough to ask for forgiveness for the moments we have separated instead of brought together. The moments that we have torn down instead of built up. Father, we're asking in a bold way for oneness. We're asking that we will be a people of one mind, of one heart, and of one faith that we learn what it means to know and listen to you and your spirit more that as we work through the book of acts and we see how your spirit engages in the lives of people that we desperately want you to engage here so so we're gonna sing holy spirit come Fill this place. Move mightily here. Break chains. Tear down walls. Destroy pride. Usher in healing. Father, this is for you. This is about you. We just want to be your children wrapped up in this moment. 
wanting your spirit to move. Holy Spirit, fill this place.